section two of the rover volume one number seven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the rover volume one number seven edited by seba smith and lawrence labrie section two hans in kelder a legend of the great frost o roving muse recall that wondrous year when winter reigned in bleak britannia's air when hoary thames with frosted osiers crowned was three long moons in icy fetters bound the waterman forlorn along the shore pensive reclines upon his useless oar sea harnessed steeds desert the stony town and wander roads unstable not their own wheels o'er the hardened water smoothly glide and raise with whitened tracks the slippery tide here the fat cook piles high the blazing fire and scarce the spit can turn the steer entire booths sudden hide the thames long streets appear and numerous games proclaim the crowded fair gay italy has its yearly carnivals and holland and russia can boast of the splendour durability and extent of the annual fairs and assemblies upon their frozen waters in modern london however such gay scenes are almost entirely unknown except when a winter of unusual severity freezes up her thames and makes it for a brief season emulate the icy rivers of belgium itself but while such occurrences are so rare as to stand prominently out from the file of ordinary events many of the more common ancient civic disports have also entirely departed this life and exist only in our old chronicles or in those romances which picture out the manners of london's vanished days for much of this abridgment of our mirth we may thank the puritans and modern refinement and wisdom have nearly swept away the little which they left where i pray you be our may games why gone with the famous maypole of st andrew under shaft which that fierce zealot sir stephen the curate of cree church preached down and had sawn into pieces for firewood as doe tells us where is now the glorious sight of the midsummer watch on the eve of st john when glass lamps flowers and green herbs decked the streets through which it passed it ceased even against elizabeth's express command from a want of the same ancient spirit which inspired it in 
the time of henry the eighth where be the brave processions of archers and their trials of skill in the suburbs of london alas their glory set in the great shooting match in finsbury in fifteen eighty three and charles i tried in vain to revive it but if i should separately recount all the features of decay time would indeed fail me our costly pageants are unknown our splendid mummings are ended the youths of london no longer contend with sword and buckler after evening prayer nor do the maidens play on their timbrels and dance in the presence of their masters and dames for garlands suspended across the streets all these are past in london in its magnificent its simple and its innocent pastimes is no more one scene however in which this city yet bears a considerable resemblance to its former days is when the thames is frozen over when tents are erected and various sports are carried on upon its surface some instances have occurred even in our own times which convey to us a good conception of those of centuries past and now if the reader will only look back with me for one hundred and forty-two years from this present january in the year of human redemption eighteen forty three i will depict in as lively features as i may a legend of that great frost which characterized the closing reign of king charles the second it was during the winter of the year sixteen eighty three that the tall man of a foreign aspect a most cadaverous countenance and a torn ancient habit expressive of the greatest poverty engaged a lonely and miserable hovel seated on the worst part of the bankside by the river thames as he placed in the hands of his landlord a sum amounting to the full worth of the building for ever he was allowed to take up his residence without many inquiries and the only information elicited from him was that he had spent most of his life abroad where he had acquired the dutch title of hans in kelder or jack in the cellar from his habits of retirement when he did engage himself in any occupation he was as an herbalist to the apothecaries in whose service he frequently absented himself whole days from home as the good people of england found at this period abundance to talk of in the public events that were daily occurring master hans was for some time left to enjoy his kelder in quietness but as he neither discovered plots nor plotted himself minded only his own concerns was no gossiper and did not frequent either the convivial parties or the puritan meeting-houses around him his neighbours began to think that he must be little better than one of the wicked simply because he so slightly resembled themselves his character was the more misrepresented in proportion to the distance at which it was canvassed thus he was shrewdly doubted at the puritan alehouse entitled the god encompasseth us or as some called it either from waggery or brevity the goat and compasses on the bankside 
he was openly suspected at the lamb and leather breeches in the borough and at the peddler and his pack on london bridge he was actually denounced by the discordant names of whig papist puritan prophet madman and wizard however he contrived to live through it all and as he drank only water he kept himself alike free from the scores of knavish publicans and the inquiries of multitudes of inquisitive sinners but to speak the plain truth there certainly were some points in his life really calculated to excite somewhat more than mere vulgar curiosity he had never been known to cross the bridge into the city since his first coming to dwell on the bank side and his diet was of so ascetic a nature that none could ever discover anything like ordinary food going into his house manchet the puritan baker who lived at the sign of the golden shoe bread over against the bridge gate affirmed that he must be little better than a hebrew jew who did not eat the same bread as his neighbours and added something about the leaven of unrighteousness h bone the butcher too who resided in that market which until about seventy years past occupied the middle of the main street of the borough swore stoutly that a man who loved not his trencher must be worse than a turk and ought to be sent to grass like king nebuchadnezzar another worthy of the same sagacious and disinterested class was also enraged at the quiet and inoffensive hans in kelder this was master saunders spluchen a scots tobacconist and tavern-keeper of london bridge the eleve and successor of the late master shortcut of the tobacco row and flagon to whose sign the witty king james added the classical but quibbling motto of eo baki now master saunders considered within himself that he of all others had a right to be angered at the recluse's neglect of his wares for thought he and he thought it aloud and in broad scotch say the loon were a wee bit a a papist wilk is no muckle to be doubted yet the reek a gude virginny tobacco is free to ilka sect in this modern babel o' london for year straight war puritan taxed in his meeting-house and year swithering loons they ca quakers fuff it away in their dumb assemblies and year organ-loving episcopalian fills his pouch with the best o or nuco and year image-worshipping tyke the pape does nay scorn to mack his pipe reek like a killigee for my oin part i say love to moralize the indian weed or a tankard o my ain october that the good wife i think some foo went i've emptied only a short english quart stupor twey and i shouldn't wonder if the good wife's very much in the right master saunders he he ha ho said a pompous rough voice behind the reflecting tobacconist now this voice belonged to no less a personage than the worshipful master democritus overcrow the beadle of st magnus church london bridge he was a fine specimen of the ancient city parish officer overbearing alike in his wisdom and his wit in all matters and in all companies he was desirous of being the prime mover principal agent and centre of gravity if the debate were serious he spake long and loudly if the conversation were jocular he was still long and still loud garnishing 
his discourse with sly witticisms and dull jokes of his own to which he was particularly addicted when he relaxed his conceited features to a laugh lest his hearers however should presume upon this freedom he would bridle up his mouth with that full and pursy titter which usually characterizes your wealthy and important busybody it's very like master saunders said this worthy pillar of st magnus that the good wife as you call her is quite right about your moralizing with a pipe and tankard she's afraid you should be too moral righteous overmuch you know he he ha ho what's yer wool answered saunders putting on his most stupid look that he might have time to collect his thoughts tway pun a mild pudding did ye say what's yer wool wool man replied overcrow thou art truly wool-gathering he he ha ho i was saying that your good wife why do you call her so we've no good wives in england he he ha ho my certy maist overcrow and is it yer sell ejaculated the wily tobacconist as if he had then for the first time discovered his visitor come away man wi ye intil the parlour i hae gotten a thing to tell ye of that so muckle concern till the parish come away come away as they entered saunders pointed out to his guest through the window of his small back room which overhung the western side of london bridge and looked up the thames the tents and fair which were then erected upon the ice for this scene took place in the january of sixteen eighty three four ay said overcrow that's blanket fair standing on a sheet of ice over the bed of the river he he ha ho direful frost this master splutter splutchin will ye a favour interrupted the, the tobacconist ay ay kenned it wad be a long and sour frost but we'll cry up a tankard maister demacrock and then i'll tell ye my story do so splutter and if thine ale be good i'll cry up the tankard he he ha ho and when the beverage was produced and the two worthies of st magnus were seated by a blazing fire saunders spluchin thus began his legend ye maun ken maister bedrill that the laif chalmers of these biggings are in the piers of this muckle auld brig flay chambers interrupted overcrow where be they friend splutter the bedrooms i should guess by their name he he ha ho nay nay we year favour sir they are no the bedrooms but the cellars where the wee winnocks look out upon the river and the braid flats o wood that the folks called the starlings weel maister demicrock democritus friend splutter you mean democritus again interrupted overcrow ay weel i'm sure i said demicrock answered the tobacconist and i'm sure ye might take yer ain tail hame and came me spluchin instead of splutter wilk is but a sorry kind of title ye ken albeit maister bedrill in one of the rooms we keep at the ale barrel and you'll find it a good brust we a double strake of malt in it so ye see that when i take the solace of a pipe of leaf tobacco after the fash of the day is o'er i i get me a pint stoop to moisten it withal or it may be twa but it's a insobriety 
now ye see that ain night in the beginning of this frost when we'd a fresh browsed in i was fain to taste it to ken whether it was good and say i went down by myself wi' the tankard in my hand whilst the moon was shining through the winnock and glinted bonnily on the spigot a bitter cold night it was mare by token that i tasted the yill mare than once but ye're no to think i was foo i think ye full master sputter exclaimed overcrow no god save the mark i think you can't be full he he ha ho weel master bedraw when i found that the yill was good as i was coming back i heard a sort of an eldritch crooning and on looking through the winnock there stood on one of the starlings about a cat's loop baff me a fearsome-looking child of a mighty age wi a beard as long as an ell wand and rapid in his white dead clays swithering and quaking in the cold moonlight it was nay time then to be thinking of the yill for i kenned i'd seen either the dell or jock frost but though i tried to cost up a bit prayer or spell i gaed ain lusty scritch and cowpit on the ground o'er turning the barrel as i fell and so lay in a dwam till the goodwife and her quain came down to lift me weel sir ye wadna think it but as they found me lying with the empty pint stoop and the yill running aboot the floor drunken tyke was the best word in their wane for the bogey had vanished and they wadna believe that i'd been flayed by ony ghaist at a and a no one has seen it since no friend i dare say not replied overcrow and they thought belike that you should have been flayed by a constable at the bridge watchhouse he he ha ho my surdy ejaculated the tobacconist and wasna sicken a terrible revelation enough to without the mocking of two jods like job's wife and the deal bathe clawing on me at once why truly neighbour splutter said the beadle these are not sites for an orderly parish like ours which is governed by officers of such gravity and now whereupon it there's another iniquity which it behooves us of the legality to inquire into for on the bank side there dwells a fellow who calls himself sams in a skelter or some such ungodly name and he continued shaking his head there be plotters abroad you know vera true maister bedrell vera true rejoins splutchin and to speak my mind to him i think that he's nay better than a wizard or an evil spirit for he does nay smoke for with smoke he can raphael drave away the evil spirit from the daughter of raguel whilk ye may read in tobit the eighth and second no 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 splutter it's no such thing i tell you said the beadle but we of the legality deplorables of the parish think that he's a spy or some part of the late plots let him have a care though let him have a care for there's a spring laid for him that he'll hardly escape and he were in truth an evil spirit let it go no farther honest friend but as it's known that he's somewhere on the ice every night he'll be watched for and made to give a better account of himself than by saying sam's in a skelter i warrant you the celebrated frost which overspread the thames at the time that this conversation took place was one of the longest and severest in the history of london from the beginning of december sixteen eighty three until the fifth of the february following the river was so completely frozen from london bridge to westminster that another city was erected on the ice and furnished with all the commodities carriages festivities and entertainments 
which were to be found upon its banks this british carnival was known by the name of blanket fair and its principal scene of merriment was nearly opposite the temple stairs a double line of small square tents stretching from the water-gate of that building almost straight across the river was called temple street and another running nearly parallel with the surrey shore was named thames street both of which were decorated with gay signs garlands and taverners bushes intimating that food wine fire and amusements of all sorts were to be found within in that part of the river which was not occupied by tents the ice generally lay in large irregular masses with occasional fractures showing the water below having a board placed over them and a waterman standing on each side to collect the toll from such as passed across it in several places however a space had been cleared for a bear bait or bull running or the erection of printing presses which evelyn observes were said to gain five pounds a day for the printing of names only there were also gaming tables public fires whirly coats and that important feature of all great frosts on the thames the roasting of an entire ox over an iron pan which stood upon the ice around each of these exhibitions was collected a very fair specimen of the vulgar of the days of king charles the second some being in attendance from a natural love of brutal pastimes others from the frost affording a plausible excuse for their very great inclination to idleness others from the hope of finding an easy prey for their knavery to play upon others from their attachment to stray purses and all from an innate propensity to mischief beyond this part of the fair and nearer to the shore was a stand of various kinds of carriages ready to seize upon visitors at their first entering upon the river some being shaped like cars or the cabriolet of the present day and others consisting of the ordinary heavy hackney coaches of the seventeenth century as one of the days of this fair was drawing to a close a tall hard-featured man with black hair was seen advancing from westminster toward the tents which stood by the bank side he was met and accosted by a good-looking person of a remarkably free and cavalier-like air with a singular habit of striding as he walked clothed in rather an antique military costume which seemed to be rather the worse for wear either from its continual duty or perhaps from the very hard service which it had seen in the wars in short the whole of his appearance indicated one of those military men who were thrown out of employ at the restoration with but limited means of support yet though he strove to cover his poverty by an air of levity and mirth the brave soldier and the honourable man were evident through all the good time of the evening to you sir said the soldier you are visiting blanket fair i presume trust me sir a merry sight and a goodly for i take it upon my credit to say to you that there be persons of excellent fashion therein a wide step at this place witty gentlemen sir and valiant most of them mine intimates for we have served together an enormous stride followed this speech indeed sir i shall desire your company ere we part over a pottle of burnt sack and it stand to your liking and i pray you sir to be choice in your comrades for there be knaves in yonder fair smite me sir there be knaves in it and his address concluded with a third immense stride truly sir replied the tall stranger with somewhat of sarcasm in his voice truly i doubt not that you are well qualified to speak touching the knavery of the place and seeing that i came to look on some of the sports i shall think myself happy in your escort where i may best partake of them i would gladly bestow a quart of canaries or what you will to have that courtesy 
my most honoured friend cried the soldier in ecstasy i shall desire leave speedily to embrace you i saw from the first that you were a gentleman discovered it with half an eye sir none of your swaggering troopers astride at this place as if to give effect to his words who tramped the ice for dinner spike me no sir but a gentleman sir a real gentleman and he finished with a long step as before and by what title may i accost you sir asked the first stranger of his companion i'm a poor captain of rupert's sir replied he with some feeling now the wars are over and the king back again thrown aside with other rusty armour my name is hannibal corslet and i led a troop of horse under the most valiant prince rupert who hath often bestowed favours on me with his own hand in the field but that shall pass for mine house and family they are of the famous stradello in italy and for that i have an unconfined and martial step my comrades were wont to call me captain straddle though i certify you that it was but in honourable jocoseness and for your peculiar title for me replied the first speaker with some hesitation you may call me hans in kelder tis a name i travelled with in holland ha cried captain corslet then you have seen the belgic line and jack dutchman sir i honour you for your experience and now as the evening is closing i deem that you will not desire yet to look upon the sports but rather go into some honest tavern to recruit what say you sir here is the royal oak and i'll assure you that you shall drink worse french wine than they draw within i attend you captain said hans for i have found the royal oak prove a good shelter ere now and our two heroes entered the tent the interior of the tavern presented but little room and few and coarse accommodations on one side a large fire was supported on an iron stand and a brass lamp which blazed fiercely in the centre served to show some half-dozen persons seated near a rude table covered with tankards tall venice classes and various kinds of flasks and bottles by the fire sat a stout man in a sailor's habit who seemed from the sarcastic ferocity of his features and the arms which he carried to be of the rudest class of pirates though few would have ventured to ask him the question several strangers with the landlord of the royal oak his drawers and their liquors filled the remainder of the tavern good even to ye all gentlemen said the captain striding into the tent and touching his hat give ye good even guten abend as your almain hatheth here jenkins drawer he continued seating himself and stretching out his legs as good canaries and claret boy eh the best on the river so please you said the tapster taking up a tankard then do me thine office quickly fill me a quart of sack and burn it let the jug cream and mantle like the snow wreaths of the switzer's mountains ho 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 since life is full of woe let the glass be filled again ho 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 well done captain your mirth becomes you said master hans taking a seat in the circle here's a health to you sir you make me proud but what saith the proverb a merry heart is worth gold and fortune could never rob me of that and now gentlemen speaking of fortune reminds me of war when i was in the army under prince rupert he was a commander of such unmatchable courage that he galloped to battle with as much speed as if he rode to a banquet i rejoined the landlord and the story runs that there was a song known to many of his officers by the name of rupert's hymn i would e'en give a tankard of claret but to hear it order up the claret landlord and open your ears then answered corslet i'll give you 
as we sang it at the grand charge at naseby field in sixteen forty five only you must think that the sound of the kettle-drums and trumpets and the chorus of the whole troops made it more spirit-stirring than we shall hear it again mount gallants mount for the rays of the morning are gilding your arms on the tent-covered plain mount gallants mount for the day that is dawning must shine on us victors or shine on us slain mount cavaliers it is loyalty speed you mount cavaliers it is rupert who leads you mount cavaliers let the flag which precedes you be covered with blood or with glory again draw gallants draw on the enemy dashing full on his ranks irresistibly poor on gallants on when the sabres are flashing remember king charles and remember no more on cavaliers it is vengeance that speeds you on cavaliers it is rupert who leads you on cavaliers let the flag which precedes you be covered with glory or covered with gore while these verses were singing the features of master hans began to lose their harshness as they became flushed and animated by the song and he at length joined in the rushing tide of the chorus with as much ardour as if he had that moment had his foot in the stirrup on the field of naseby with the royal army in full charge behind him the applause and excitement produced by this song had not subsided when a pompous voice was heard exclaiming at the door make way there good people make way for us of the legality who are come to look for hidden enormities we warrant for that we do as shall be manifested and immediately entered our old acquaintance overcrow followed by several watchmen the beadle cast a scrutinizing glance around the tent which rested chiefly upon the stout sailor the captain and his companion hans pierce posset said overcrow to one of the watchmen guard the door and cresset hold up the lantern whilst i consult mine intelligencer i promise you my master some of ye look like knaves that i like not and it shall go hard but it be proved so ere we depart i am in search of he continued looking on a paper of a um um long-bodied care foreign-looking and then addressing himself to the stranger he added and pray friend how may you be named you may call me hans in kelder was the answer nay and you call yourself so that's he now for me and so i promise to show you the inside of the brig watch-house to-night master hans for you are known to be a knave not without my consent replied the stranger coolly nor without mine neither added captain corselet for this gentleman came hither with me and straff mick hell as jack german says if i see him captured without a blow fellow fellow said overcrow this must be answered to your superiors but you shall be dealt with anon for we of the legality are not to be bullied in the discharge of our ministry and turning to the sailor he added and who may you be master mariner the devil replied the sailor starting from his seat and speaking in a harsh deep tone at this the valiant overcrow at first recoiled a few steps but recovering himself answered then i charge the watch with you in the name of king charles and st magnus the martyr but give us your name fellow we are not to be scared by your bullying hark ye brother said the mariner completely rousing himself when we sailors are asked for names we don't care to own to we call the ship hans and kelder so do you see me now be content with a civil answer and sheer off while the play is good oh it's a plot i see exclaimed overcrow there's a villain of the name in every parish and there'll be old firing of london again who was it spake of firing london cried the sailor starting up in frenzy who said that i threw the first fireball 
and immediately rushed out of the tavern in the very height of the surprise which this occasioned saunders spluchin burst into the tent his face pale and his hair standing on end with fright exclaiming come away if you're christian folk come away for there's the devil himself on the starlings a london bridge greeting like a crocodile and rampaging like a fighting dragon and this is the place and time that i hae see him as i have never seen him once said captain corselet i'll even go now so show me the way my bonny scot and notwithstanding the exclamations of overcrow the whole party rushed out the bankside and london bridge were during the great frost the most lonely and unfrequented parts of the crowded surface of the tins for the tents and streets did not come up close to either and in sixteen eighty three there were several robberies committed about those places especially upon such passengers as were so incautious as to say with the travellers in shakespeare's henry the fourth that they would along with company having great charge it was to this gloomy and silent spot that the visitors of the royal oak now rapidly crowded but ere they could reach it the report of a pistol followed by a faint cry quickened both their steps and their curiosity the evening had by this time grown quite dark and from the occasional lights which glanced up and down in the houses upon london bridge and the bankside it was evident that the graver inhabitants were retiring to rest the edifice itself rose in a dark heavy mass above the whitened river forming a strong contrast to the ruddy glare with which the distant fires of blanket fair had tinted the night skies and the cold light that the wintry moon had cast upon the ice on one of the starlings of the bridge nearest the surrey shore a figure in white was seen lying apparently lifeless with the head hanging over toward the water my surty exclaimed spluchin when this scene presented himself the deal be in me if they hey nay shot the ghaist for the sake o his mort clays there's more knavery in it than that friend scott replied captain corslet hark he groans gentlemen the poor wretch is yet living such of ye as are valiant and willing come with me and perchance we shall yet save him upon this he rushed forward and with some difficulty mounted the high starling by the blocks of ice which lay around it but scarcely had he ascended it when he found himself seized by a powerful grasp which the glimmering light discovered to be that of the pirate sailor who had so hastily quitted the royal oak hola comrade cried the captain let go your hold we must save the dying man before you yourself shall be the dying man then replied the sailor unless you quit us both i carry two men's lives at my girdle and by the fiend of darkness one of them shall be yours rather than you shall have my secret gentlemen exclaimed corslet taking a firm hold upon the mariner and loudly calling out to his party which was now increased by several persons bearing flambeaux gentlemen make up in the name of god and king charles for here's a villain and a secret worth a king's ransom rather worth a nation's eternal curse said the figure in white recovering and speaking in a faint voice the reply to this was another pistol discharged by the mariner though his arms being arrested by a corselet the contents were lodged in his own body which rolled off the starling under the arch of the bridge where the tide was unfrozen and immediately sank beneath the ice is he gone exclaimed the figure raising himself and looking wildly after the sailor then i must soon follow and my life is rapidly passing nay attempt not to drag me hence he continued to several persons who had now ascended 
the starling and endeavour to remove him seek not to drag me hence for i will die here and elsewhere i will reveal nothing but bear me up for a little and now listen all of you he whose body is now the prey of the waters and whose soul is gone to its place was the infernal hubert cloudsley who first fired london and i was his accomplice i well may ye shrink from me he added as his supporters with involuntary horror let his body fall upon the starling but ye are all avenged for even they who lost friends and fortune in that awful burning in the wildest moment of horror were in paradise to me ever since that hour never could i again enter the city but after a restless and wandering life spent all over the earth i came to die in penance in sight of my recovering victim my life is ebbing faster than the tide below me this night for the first time since we set london in flames hubert and i met and to preserve the accursed secret he hath gone to his account with another murder ever since my return to england i have nightly as an act of penitence clothed myself in my grave clothes and sat beneath this bridge till the dawn of morning weeping over my past guilt and shivering to the night blast my abode hath been the most wretched hovel of yonder bank and my ill-gotten wealth has been scattered to every sufferer around me that their blessings might ascend with the curses of my victims and now i am departing found on a longer and a darker voyage than ever mariner sailed o london he continued making an effort to raise himself and look toward the city live for ever thy name shall rise in glory from thine ashes while mine shall die accursed and unknown he uttered these words with all his remaining strength and his life then forsaking him he fell backward as the mariner had done over the starling beneath the bridge as he sank however the shroud blew aside from his face and splutchin exclaimed my surdy the deals keep it a good look out after its ain for it's the wizard chief they call hans in kelder ay said overcrow bustling up and laying his hand on the collar of the tall stranger we've another rogue here of that name that may swing instead of him for the legality of the land is not to be defrauded of its prey somebody shall be hanged that i've made up my mind on hold there master constable cried corslet leaping down from the starling and seizing the beetle less zeal and more wisdom this is a loyalist and a gentleman and i'm another and moreover we've a cup to drink together before we part that you shall do answered overcrow by being put in ward together and both taste of the same cup he he ha ho bring him along watchman come on fellow you're mighty unwilling to go to prison methinks the force of the beetle's grasp tore open the cloak in which the stranger was enveloped and discovered upon his breast the silver star of the garter with its rich jewel suspended by a blue riband about his neck his hat falling off too at the same moment discovered the full features of charles the second himself surrounded by the fine dark hair which so strongly characterized him god save the king cried corslet taking the astonished overcrow by the collar and giving him a violent swing round who is likely to be hanged now master constable fear not said the merry monarch magistrate should be a terror to evil-doers and odds fish this fellow would terrify a knave with e'er a bailiff in christendom but fear not man fear not death in disguises make all men equals and this night hath shown us that which kings may well be instructed by but now let us back to the royal oak and finish our night captain and in the morning you shall have both reward and employment believe me my heart is grateful to all my old defenders but mine eyes are not all-seeing nor is my treasury without a bottom such was one of the romantic occurrences of the great frost in sixteen eighty three but although history make no mention of it 
yet the extraordinary penance is recorded in a periodical paper of seventeen fifty seven and impressions are still extant of a bill printed on the ice in the famous frost now described on which are found the names of all the royal family one of whom is designated by the singular title of hans in kelder End of section two.